Hello everyone and welcome to the Racing Minds podcast. Racing Minds is a charitable organisation and our mission is to provide a positive, exciting and supportive safe space environment for blue light services, military personnel, veterans and individuals that are battling with mental health problems. To support their recovery, help improve their mental state through motorsport experiences and to raise awareness of mental health. The Racing Minds podcast is focused on delivering inspirational, interesting stories from within the racing community, using motorsport as our medium to raise awareness of mental health. As always, guys, thanks for the support and enjoy this episode. I'm a complete technophobe. Yeah, I'm useless with it. I can just about do a Zoom call. That's about it. <laughs> Jade, welcome to the Racing Minds podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. Obviously, the last couple of weeks have been quite busy for you. But before we get into that, so for anyone that's kind of watching or listening to the podcast, just give me a brief kind of rundown. What you're about, what do you do, what are you up to at the moment? Yeah, so my name's obviously Jade Edwards and I'm currently racing in the British Touring Car Championships. My first full season in the championship, but previously I've raced in Clio Cup, GT racing. I've raced internationally as well on and off. So yeah, motorsport mad. I started racing when I was 15, but I actually went to my first racetrack when I was two weeks old because I'm a third generation racing driver. So racetracks in the UK especially are like second homes to me. So motorsport crazy in my world. That's awesome. Love it. You beat Florence, my daughter, by quite a way, actually. She was five weeks when she first went to the racetrack yeah. last year. So. To be honest, I was actually born on a race weekend that my father was competing in and he left the racetrack to come and watch me be born. And then like, <laughs> that's all good, met her, and he just appeared <laughs> off back to the track and my mum drove herself home. So crazy. It's absolutely mental. I can, I can, yeah, I can, I can definitely relate to that. We had like a plan in place, me and Daisy yeah. last year when Florence was coming along and it was getting closer and closer and the first round was kicking off with Super Cup, obviously supporting what you're doing now. Yeah. And I was like, Gee, she's still not here yet. She's still not here yet. And we had a plan in place and everything. If like she came along while I was out yeah. on track, you will go in my race suit. So, but yeah, in, in the end, it wasn't. I love the fact that you didn't, because some drivers would say, oh, I won't do that weekend. But our no. family's not like that. We're like, we'll do it. And if it happens, we'll deal with that situation as, yeah. it, as it arises. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, we'd be the same as you guys. Yeah, that's exactly the same. It was Daisy that actually said that. She was like, no, you're not cancelling the, you know, you're not doing anything different. We'll work around one it. One round is a huge thing for yeah, a great season. Yeah. Fair play to Daisy for letting you do that. Yeah, she's probably more competitive than I am, actually. If I have a good race, she's on my case. <laughs> so you said you're third, third generation then racing. So it's really been in the blood then for a long time. Yeah, so my grandfather actually, weirdly, you know, he got into racing by stumbling across Brands Hatch on just a day out with his friends. They, I think they saw like, a road sign that said racing happening and they went we'll go and check that out went there and I think a week later two weeks later he'd stripped all the carpets out of his own car <laughs> back in the day it was just racing saloons you could just literally drive or race whatever you drive on the road so he then started competing and he raced with drivers like James Hunt Emerson Fittipaldi awesome. you know all these guys that before they went to F1 you know went through the ranks with my granddad and then my father raced, he won Renault 5 Turbos, he's won, won the Clear Cup Championship and he's raced in British touring cars for a couple of seasons as well. So it's completely in the blood and specifically that paddock that I'm in now, I've been in since I was 10 years old. So a lot of people have watched me grow up there, which is strange. That's awesome. That's brilliant. I, I love that. Absolutely love that. I didn't have anything like that myself, got into racing very late, but I always had like a love for big and fast things. My old man was a, well, still is a pilot in the Air Force. So it was always kind of like exciting things that way. Yeah, 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 exactly. So your dad then, obviously I know, I know your dad, Jim, but 
you know, he's been working in motorsport now since, I mean, how long has he been in it? He's been in it for, for ages, hasn't he? Well, the same, same as, as me, really. He sort of obviously grew up in it because his dad was racing, but he's been on and off working in the industry. When I started British GT years and years ago, he sort of was involved in the team and then he stepped away and then he came back. He runs now Assetto Motorsport with my brother-in-law. So, you know, there was obviously a part of his career where he's competing himself and that was his main focus. But now, as he's got a bit older and I've started racing and my sister actually raced back in the day, he kind of switched that role and became, you know, the guy on the radio when we did GT stuff and team manager and, and things like that. So he's changed his role. But the competitive edge is still there. He actually went out in a car a few weeks ago and he realised that actually his driving technique was exactly spot on, but he was two tenths off because he was a lot heavier than the other guy in the car. Yeah. So he's, not, he's lost a stone yeah. and a half in three and a half weeks because he was thinking, I'm not having that. I'm not going to be slow just because I'm too heavy. So he's, he's on a mission now. So the competitive edge is still there, which is which is good to see. Good lad, I like that. I like that. What, what's it like? So obviously that must be like a really, I suppose it's a, it's a massively good thing in a way, but potentially a lot of pressure there as well, coming from a family that's so successful. Yeah, in some ways, like you say, it, it opens a few doors because I grew up in the paddock. So even though my dad maybe didn't, you know, push me through, you know, uh, contacts or anything like that, because I was around, people knew me. So when I'm approaching situations, they go, oh, that's Jim's daughter. And I, I kind of had that access straight away. But yeah, there was a little bit of pressure, especially when I went to Clio Cup because dad had won the Clio Cup championship once. And he'd also won Renault 5 Turbos, which was the equivalent back in the day. Yeah. Obviously, as soon as I arrived there, it was that was the storyline I was daughter of Jim Junior and granddaughter of Jim Senior had also won Renault 5 championships as well so there was a bit of pressure there and I have to say my Clio Cup career as much as I was grateful to be there and I enjoyed lots of aspects of it there were certain aspects of it that I would never choose to go back to because of you know different politics and different pressures and stuff like that and it was just it was a strange couple of years but like I say I'm not ungrateful it's just it wasn't as plain sailing as some people think yeah, absolutely. It kind of annoys me, actually, when when people talk about, oh, you know, such and such, well, they're only in because of the dad. It's like they're yeah. still racing and they're still on the grid with everyone else and they're still yeah. going to do the job the same as everybody else. You know, it, it, it's ultimately the track is the is the proving ground. It kind of annoys me. And often I think it's a lot of the time it's just sour grapes. Someone's finishing behind. Yeah, I think people are always looking for an excuse as to why that other person's there. You yeah. know, there's people like Nick Hamilton that always get grief. Oh, his brother's paid for it. And okay, I don't know the backstory, but from what I've heard, Nick pays for his racing through his own sponsors. Okay, some of those sponsors match what Lewis has got, but I can assure you that all Lewis would have done is gone, that's the bloke you need to speak to, and the rest is down to you. So these people have still got to do the deals, they've still got to maintain the sponsor, and they've still got to do the job on track. So I agree with you, you know, you might get a little bit of access into something, but you've still got to do everything from that point. Yeah, 100%, absolutely. Yeah, fully agree. So... Where did it start then for me? So what, what kind of championships did you start racing in? Did you start in carts or did you go into straight into cars or? No, we had, we had a go-kart, but because when I was karting age, my dad and granddad were still competing at the, the time. We couldn't do both karting and, you know, them racing. So I never did any real competitive karting. Like I say, we had one and we'd go to local Reading trail park and whiz round all day. And back then my sister was still competing with me and she was, she's 18 months older than me. So she was kind of 
the first in line to go racing. And we, we started in Janetta Juniors. Mm. And I think it was 2005 she did her first season. And it wasn't on the Toka package back then. It was just a normal championship run by a brilliant guy called Martin Pfaff, who mm. had this great mentality that it was okay, it was competitive, and you had to do the best you can on track, but he wanted to bring everyone together. And he actually did the first round of each season out in France at Croix. And the reason for that was, A, it wasn't a huge distance to travel. You know, it's just across uh, the water. The circuit higher obviously wasn't huge either. So it didn't pick up our fees a huge amount. But what it did do is bring us all together because you get a group yeah. of Brits abroad. Suddenly you all stick together and, and go to restaurants together because you feel numbers. Yeah. yeah. So by the end of that first weekend, we'd already interacted with so many other teams and drivers because they were our safe English people. In a, in a foreign country so he was brilliant that way and she did 2005 and then I did 2006 and so yeah started in Janetta Juniors and then went from there but due to budget I don't think either of us did a full season until I got into a Clio in 2017 which is mental. How did Clio's go? Yeah Clio's for me I never really got on with the car I'm quite a ballsy driver I'm quite I don't want to say aggressive I'm not aggressive but I'm, I'm brave almost I'm always braking quite late I find that quite easy to do and this car just didn't like being overdriven. So suddenly, as soon as yeah. you brake later than everyone, it's front wheel drive, you then understeer, and then it just it's just pushing on all the time. And I just struggled to rein myself in. But when I ever drove the Aston Martin GT4 and this touring car now, it's almost like the harder you drive, the more reward you get from it. And that yeah. suits me. So I had three seasons in the Clio of really mentally struggling to get to grips with how to rein myself in to get the quicker time and I remember a session I was getting frustrated and dad said it was a free practice test session and he said go out and drive and break a car's length earlier than you want to every single corner I went out frowning thinking oh, I hate this it's <laughs> what does Jim know <laughs> go out there and I'm in my mind I'm pootling around I'm like I'd normally break there I'm gonna break here and my dash went green and I thought you <laughs> how does that work in motorsport in my brain it's the faster you drive the harder you drive the quicker you go but in this yeah, video yeah. it wasn't like that it had this weird technique so like i said yeah previously i was so grateful to be there i loved the toka package but mm. i just never got on with that car i really didn't yeah so you didn't keep it secret that btcc was always one of the big aims for you so what was it like last year when you, you know, you did the, you did the first race or I can't even remember what was the gap between the last female up until that point. 14 years. That was it for, yeah, yeah. I knew it was over a decade. Yeah. It was, it was Fiona Leggett back in 2007. That was so it, yeah, yeah. A good chunk of time ago. Crazy weekend. I mean, I got, when, when Power Max announced that they weren't doing a full season, I had yep. a text from Adam Weaver and he gave me a price and it was just, too much I just I said to him like as much as I'd love to do it I just don't have that money for yeah. a race weekend and then it got a few months later and he texted me again he said look we've managed to get some team sponsorship on board and it's now made the fee this amount and I was like do you know what that is rich ignore it yeah <laughs> yeah so then you start sort of ringing your your loyal sponsors and going look this is the deal on the table and every single one of them went let's do it let's do it let's do it mm. And I, I sort of I had a switch mentality. I had one part of me was like, this is the only time that you could end up driving a touring car in the touring car race, you know, on the, the main package, all that sort of stuff. So just enjoy it. No pressure. Just go and have fun. And then there was yeah. another part of me, the marketing side and the commercial side is going, if you do this right, this could kickstart a full season the, the yeah. next year. So I was kind of fighting between myself. But I have to say, it was one of the best weekends I've ever had. Power Max was so 
professionally relaxed at yeah. the approach of the weekend. They let me learn. There was no real pressure. When they saw that there was a goal in reach, they pushed me to that goal, but they didn't ever, you know, expect anything from me. And Adam Weaver, Cy, the Paul, the guy on the car, you know, we had such a laugh over the radio. There was good banter, but professional. Mm. And it was one of those weekends that had I never done any more, I would have been more than happy with that experience it was absolutely brilliant but luckily I did milk it completely <laughs> my face online sick of seeing my face on tv and all sorts and I, I managed to put a deal together thanks to BTC and Steve Dubman I'm, I'm now here for a full campaign so the mindset slightly changed but the experience of enjoying it is is still there oh it's enormous yeah it's a huge achievement I mean I, you know it's there's no other way to describe it other than huge congratulations because it's a it's an absolutely awesome thing to be doing I, I never knew if I'd get here you know what it's like within racing it's so hard to get the financial back in that yeah. you know I struggled in seasons of Clio's you know budget wise and I'm thinking well if I can't afford a, a support package amount how mm. am I going to get to Toka and actually covid lockdown and all that ruined my 2020 season but actually in a weird way created my next chapter of motorsport so yeah. it's, it's kind of that mentality of never giving up i guess yeah absolutely absolutely no going back to what you're saying about the the power max guys i was lucky enough to sit in the garage during i think it was i think it was quality day last year uh, not last year 2019 during i think it was a snack weekend pretty sure yeah. it was a weekend and that was exactly the impression i got all mega chilled out, all really, really nice people, you know, come over and have a chat. You know, they were busy, but at the time, but they made an effort to come over and have a chat. They're so approachable. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Adam as well, extremely busy bloke, especially on a race weekend, just still came over and said hello. Yeah. I just thought, that's brilliant. And I think what you said about there is a line between professionalism and people being too relaxed yeah. and not taking it you know, as seriously as what it should be. And I think balancing that line is very, very difficult. The people that do it well are few and far between. So yeah, absolutely. I can, that, that kind of resonates. So when did you learn then that you definitely were going to be on the grid? Was it a late thing or did you find out pretty soon? Weirdly, it was the earliest I've ever sorted a race deal in my life. I think awesome. in Cleo's, I did a deal. I didn't think I was racing. I did a deal 24 hours before FP1 of the first round of the season. Oh, no so that was probably my latest deal, but this was my yeah. earliest and it was weird. So again, we went into like a lockdown just before Christmas and I lost all my work that I had at the time because I do coaching and stuff like that. And I thought, what on earth am I going to do? And luckily my friend, very good friend, Tom Onslow Cole, he runs a Christmas tree company, which is completely random. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And he basically creates this bespoke, you can have your Christmas tree delivered to your house in a box. And obviously in lockdown, that went mental because yeah. no one could go anywhere. So it was like click and collect or click and delivery. And next minute you're six foot trees on your doorstep. But he offered me some work. So I'm now in Timberland boots, worker trousers, hoodies, hair looks a mess as per usual anyway and I'm lugging <laughs> around six foot Christmas trees on my back all day every day and I get a phone call from Steve Dubman and he says to me you're top of our list and I thought well what do you mean and he said we've got a sponsor they're looking to have someone like you in the car you're top of our list stand by but you know in yourself with racing deals I've yeah, almost okay. heard it before I was like yeah Steve, appreciate it and obviously I was appreciative he's given me the phone call he's put me you know in the shop window whatever yeah. but I literally went back to work I was like cool Steve thanks yeah, yeah. Christmas trees lugging around exactly that feeling yeah yeah 
But Steve is someone in motorsport that you don't ever, you don't often find. He's a man of his word. And he said to me, one day, Jade, you will drive my touring car. And I never thought that six months later that would be happening because I got that phone call in November, maybe early December. Two weeks later, I signed in a contract. And it was like, it just happened overnight. And that is due to Steve, like I say, being a man of his word. You're in the shop window. I'm going to do the deal. He did the deal. And there, and there I was. And I was sat there at Christmas Day thinking, I've got a touring car drive. It's just unbelievable. Well, you kind of sat there at one point going, uh, at what point is this going to all come <laughs> like yeah. crashing down? It's like almost too good to be true. Absolutely. And I didn't tell any of my family. Obviously, I told my dad because he's my go-to. But I didn't even tell sort of my immediate family because I just didn't want to jinx it. You know, I just was yeah. sat there thinking exactly what you've just said. Like, when's this going to go wrong? I feel like yeah, it's yeah. has to go wrong. So I'm not going to tell anyone because I don't want to drink. And no, it never did. And, and Steve just stood by me and yeah, and he made it happen. That's mega. That's absolutely awesome. I mean, obviously every team's different, but what would you say the differences are between the teams? Have you experienced anything massive or is it kind of just basic smaller things? Or... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm close to obviously Power Max, I race for them. Sicily, yeah. who I raced in Cleo's with and I've, I've kept that relationship. And then obviously BTC and they're all mega, mega teams. They're absolutely, you know, I'd, I'd race for any of them because they've all got that same, like I say, professional outlook, but with the approachable commercial side and that sort yeah. of stuff. But the thing with BTC was again, you know, the belief that Steve had in me to make this deal happen was something that I will never forget. And my loyalty towards Steve is, is ongoing. I just, I can't thank him enough, but also the package that he had around him. We had a Honda FK8, which is a proven car. Yeah. My best friend or one of my best friends, Josh Cook is my teammate. And then at the time we had Michael Kreese, who is a complete lunatic, but we all love him. And yeah. it, it created that amazing, you know, situation where I thought, why would I ever want to go anywhere else? And you know, I, I I didn't ever want to. I never looked anywhere else. I never had uh, discussions with any other teams or anything like that. So for me, it was just a team that stood out. I'd built a relationship over the, the years that Josh is there, but just by being stood in the garage watching his races. And I just thought they're a team that get me, you know, with Assetto, we're quite a family run, family orientated team. And yeah, he's got that same vibe. So, yeah, I'm very happy with where I'm at at the moment. Must be awesome having guys like Josh and obviously Dan subbed in on the last round. Must be awesome having them as kind of like a benchmark, you know, guys to, I suppose, help you along the way isn't the right way to describe it. But I know what it's like sometimes when you go into a new car and you have an open data policy. Obviously, I don't know what the situation is at BTC, yeah. but, you know, that was massive for me, trying to push me on a lot quicker and get me up there a lot faster. Yeah, definitely. And I think even before Dan arrived, we had Creasy who was very quick in pre-season testing, but mm. the reality was that it was majority Josh lead the way, then Creasy, and then I'd be a bit behind. And it created a really good atmosphere because yeah. I could learn off of a Creasy and then Josh, and yeah. there was a stop gap and it, it gave me a stepping stone. And without, you know, you've just said open data policy. Absolutely. We were able to look at everything. And there was a, a day in pre-season at SNET. I hate SNET. I don't know about you. I literally hate the place. I'd, yeah. I'm very, I'm very, do you know what? I've always gone well at SNET. Like I've yeah. always had good results at SNET, but I just don't, I never once have I ever gone around on a lap and gone, I hooked that up. <laughs> like, never once. Like yeah. that. I've always come out and just gone, fuck, turn, yeah. like final turns pissing me off or something. Something's really annoying me. Like there's always something. I never hook up a lap there. Exactly. So I've done this pre-season test going there and I've texted my engineer and I'm like, this is my worst track. I hate the place. <laughs> I got there. And I was a bit, I was a chunk off. I'll admit that I was a chunk off the time in the morning and I had my frown on and I'm sat down in the debrief room and I'm like, right, what have I got to do to, to find this time? 
And it was a case of watching Josh's video, looking at some data. And then the afternoon, I ended up less than a second off them, which round that sort yeah. of lap, I was more than happy with. Yeah, yeah. It was a session day. So I think we only had three sessions on track, which was also what the frustration was, is that you're off the pace and you're thinking, I don't have the time yeah, to yeah. do yeah. it. So I was happy with that. And my engineer was going, so do you like SNET now? And I was like, absolutely not. Yeah. So I don't drive at any of these corners and think, oh, I love this corner. I was like, this is a chore. Let me tell you now, this circuit is a chore for me. Mm. And at no point will I ever enjoy it. But that doesn't mean I have to be slow around it. Yeah, it's open policy data. Pre-season testing was amazing. And then obviously having Dan come in at Thruxton, I just had different viewpoints. I, you know, I trust Josh wholeheartedly with his knowledge and he knows how I drive because he's coached me in the past. But just having Dan there, just to have another set of eyes on things and look around. Yeah. And we actually had another driver called Danny Buxton. I don't know if you know that name at all. Yeah, so yeah, I've heard, yeah. Cup and all that. He popped in for Saturday and he was a huge help. So I've got yeah. all these people around me that are you know, you can always learn, even the quickest drivers can still learn off people because you can have a different eyes set, you know, watching stuff. And I've got the best sort of bubble around me to help me improve. hundred percent. Yeah. I think if you've got, you've got guys like Josh and Dan Creasy as well, you know, all the guys like that, you know, if they're in yeah. your corner, you're in a pretty strong position, you know, let's face it. But so what would you say is let's kind of fast forward a little bit, if that's mm -hmm. all right, let's say touring cars goes awesome. You know, you, you do really well this year, carrying on improving. You're happy with your pace at the end of the year. Another year, you want to stay in it for, for the long term? Yeah, I think I'm in two mindsets. So I have put my blood, sweat and tears into getting to this point that I'm almost at the stage now where I'm sort of exhausted. And if next season rolls into another deal quite easily, 100%, no doubt, I want to be there and I'll be fully committed, no problem. If I have to fight for it maybe as hard as I have done in the past, I'm not quite sure I've got that fight in me still. You know, I've kind of made, if, if this year goes well and I get to brands and I think, you know what, I've had some Jack Sears podiums, I've had points, I've had good results and I leave happy, I don't know whether I've still got that real hunger to scrape around for the sponsorship every yeah. year in, year out, because I've done it for so long now and it is bloody stressful. But yeah, of course, I want to be there for multiple seasons. It just depends on how well I make this season commercially lead into next season, I guess. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. But I can that resonates a lot with me as well. It is a tough, yeah. tough business going through the whole sponsorship route and Oh yeah, great. You know, we, we had it uh, end of last year, you know, it was looking like something fairly big was on yeah. the table for British GT and GT3. And yeah, just, I think I mentioned it to you at the time actually, but all fell through pretty quickly. And yeah, that was, that was the end of it. So you go from, you go from getting the logos ready to go on the car to being, oh, right. Yeah. Okay. That's not what's happening. <laughs> it's a complete emotional roller coaster. I had a, a guy a couple of years ago that scammed me for 15 grand sponsorship. Do you remember if I had a I had a roll in the Clio at Alton Park? I double barrel rolled it and it was live on yeah, TV yeah. and it was clear that I didn't have the budget. And I put out and I said, Look, I need more sponsorship. This is what you get, blah, blah. And the guy came on, he went, Yep, yeah, give you 10 grand. Oh, mm -hmm. amazing. And then he said, I tell you what, I can stretch to 15. Because I didn't need the money right there and then, I was fairly chilled with it. Agreement was done. I'll let you know when the invoice is coming in. And then suddenly the invoice went no reply yeah. no this no that and he sent me fake checks written out it just a just complete scam and it turns out that I wasn't the first he'd done it to you're the same in the sense that you have this obligation for your sponsors so it wasn't yeah. just the fact that I was letting I was going to stop racing it was the fact that 
these people have put money in to see all 10 rounds play out. And I was at round seven and it was about to all fall through. And I'm thinking, I'm going to let these people down. They've paid their money. How can I pay them back? You know how it is. It's just mentally draining, dealing with sponsorship, maintaining sponsorship, the dreamers, the this, the that. It's just hard. And that's what I mean by next year. I will put 100% into trying. But if it becomes like it's looking unlikely and, and that's, I don't know if I've got that grit still in me to keep going. Yeah. 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 It's a tough, yeah. It's a tough business, tough game. Absolutely. I, I can completely sympathize with that a hundred percent, but obviously I, you know, I hope it continues to go well for you, you know, <laughs> yeah. especially as it's going so well now. So I ask this question to quite a few people and it's, it's amazing the different kind of answers that you get. Mm. I know the answer that I give is pretty straight down the line with what I think about it, but what is the thing about racing that makes you tick? Like, what is the exact, if you were to pinpoint like one specific thing about racing cars or racing, whatever it is you're racing, why'd you do it? What do you want to do with it? I think it's that lap one adrenaline. For me, it's hard because the lows are so low, but the highs are so bloody high. Yeah. That there's nothing I've done that gets the same adrenaline rush. And there's been times where I've sat, before the race and I've thought why am I doing this to myself I'm nervous <laughs> I don't want to eat anything I'm thinking I could be at home in the sunshine drinking a beer mm. not having this stressful Sunday afternoon but <laughs> you do it to yourself because as soon as the lights go out I know it's so cliche to say but when the lights go out and for me I love that lap one we're all close together it's the best time to make all your you, you know your, your biggest chunk of overtakes on that first lap it's that adrenaline rush and the only thing I've ever found in life that's anywhere near is actually skiing. And I don't know whether that's because I'm not the best skier, but I'm stupid and therefore I'm fast, but slightly out of control. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always on the edge of being out of control, which if anyone's ever watched me race, it's fairly similar in that sense. So I guess it's that kind of, you know, I've gone a roller coaster. And I think, well, yeah, I mean, it's fast, but nothing's going to go wrong. You know, touch yeah, yeah. it's yeah, built. Yeah to go round and round all day. Whereas with skiing or with motorsport, there's always that element of if this goes wrong, it's going to be big. Yeah. 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 I guess it's that feeling of being alive, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree quite. What what would be your thing? If someone asked you that question, what's your. I'd be quite closely aligned to that actually. Fair. For me, I'd say probably number one would be the competitive side. I'm just like my competitive side is just really dominant. You know, if there's something like me and Daisy be walking down the street and, she'll speed up and I'll be like, no, I'm speeding up. <laughs> it's just, just like random stuff like that. Yeah, that but... you notice that no one else in the world really notices. Like, yeah, nobody, notice nobody gives up. a shit. They're just like, what, what's no. that guy doing? <laughs> and I'm like, I will get to that corner before you will. <laughs> but, Do you know what um... I struggle with? Board games, like family. Yeah. Fun. Oh I'm like, it's not fun because I want to win. It doesn't, it's not fun for me. First holiday, Daisy, my wife, uh, and I went on together. There was a table tennis table in this little miniature sports complex. And the first thing she said was, and this is absolutely, she will deny this massively, but 100% she knows it's the truth. She just went, I'm awesome at table tennis. I win all the time. I was like, (laughs) <laughs> like straight straight away I was like red mist <laughs> like that and yeah. I was like well as it so happens I used to play table tennis a little bit as well and she was like yeah. okay we're we gonna put a sneaky bet on I was like shit's gone live now <laughs> like, yeah. like that and it was like little things like that but yeah we're both fiercely competitive together actually and I think after I cleaned her out about five games in a row she wouldn't speak to me for about an hour afterwards 
which to be quite honest I probably would have been like that as well <laughs> so absolutely sometimes I just don't play games like I just don't want to ruin my day by getting involved so if I yeah. if I feel like I'm not going to obviously win this by a country mile and it's fun, I just will remove myself from the whole yeah. situation I'll yeah. be like you know if Monopoly comes out I'll just be the banker because I can <laughs> yeah. still drink my beer and be peaceful and not have to get involved with the yeah. crap that goes on with that game so yeah, yeah, I'm not yeah. a fan of all priced fun. I can relate to that. But like you were saying about lap one and, and what the car feels like, it, it's really weird. Like for me, for me to be actually enjoy the racing, I have to have other people around me. Like test days, I can be bored shitless on a test day. I mean, exactly. People are like, what the car, what's the car doing? I'm like, yeah, it feels okay. Maybe stiffer on the front, maybe yeah. drop the rear a little bit. And then you go around, and you're like, yeah, that's worked. And you're like, good. Don't really want to be here now. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I'd rather be saving the money. <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly the same. I, I always get, even on test days, to get my best lap time, I get my teammate to be around me. And I'll say yeah. on the radio and I'll say, right, what's Josh doing? What's Creasy doing? When are they going out? And I'll sit there and I'll go, right, wait till they go out. And I'll just follow them because it's yeah. not that I need to follow them to learn. It's that I need that, I know, carrot essentially dangling, yeah. yeah yeah and i'm the same in qualifying i always struggle to qualify because i'm too much in my own head i overthink when i'm driving and when i'm racing it's instinctive and i'm just mm. like that's the target i'm gonna go and get it it's the same as you i'm testing i'm like yeah. right are we done here now can i yeah go? i think it's yeah. and this is kind of, this is one of the reasons why i had a kind of epiphany with the racing minds idea was i find racing very primal it's yeah. like a very primal instinct. And just like you said, you know, a couple of minutes ago where lights go out and everything then is focused on one thing. That to me is absolutely, it's therapy, you know, yeah. to me, it's absolutely awesome. And like you say, race gets underway. All you're focused on is where your position in the car is, what your competitors are doing, where you're going to hit the brakes, where you're going to get on the throttle, what you're doing with position in the car. At its basest form, that's what makes me happy. So yeah, absolutely. I can resonate with that as well. So obviously this year, started at thruxton for you and it was last week was it yeah, last week? yeah. yeah. Jesus, the days are going quick already yeah. it was no secret you had a bit of a nightmare finish to the weekend mm. um, and it did not look like a pleasant shunt at all for those of you who don't know jade had quite a big accident but do you want to go into some of the detail on that jade if yeah you... i mean as a as a whole for me the weekend was more positive than negative and the reason for that was saturday went so well yeah it was wet conditions for most of it for two and a half of the three sessions that we had i was you know first time in a touring car around thruxton first time in the wet in a touring car all these firsts for me and actually i was somewhat competitive and you know, I, I put in a lap time on the wet tyres in qualifying that put me P8 and it was a genuine P8. Everyone had done their second tyre run. And, you know, it was one of those really good feelings that, like I said previously, where I didn't get on with the Clio, I really get on with this car. And it makes sense to me that when I try harder, I go faster. And, you know, that sort of rewarding feeling. Yeah. Obviously, they then switched to slicks and through my lack of probably lack of confidence and lack of experience with the tire and the the car itself i went to slicks too late and i ended up qualifying 17th which actually at the start of the day i would have taken that all all day long this the 30 cars on the grid you know i was quite happy to have 17th to start my first race and that was my positive day that i, I went to bed that night thinking do you know what no matter what happens tomorrow I feel like I've proven that at the fastest circuit in the country, in the rain, my first time in a touring car, I've proven that I've got that initial pace to yeah. work with. And, you know, we woke up at Sunday, went out for race one, dropped a couple of positions because the start procedure in a touring car, I'm not 
familiar with and I, I fluffed it a bit and dropped some positions overtook about a couple more and I finished 20th so I finished lower than I started so that's never ideal I don't come back in beaming about that but actually as a race result to get under my belt to start the year I was like right solid race finish we're good to go and then you know race two happened again steady start just getting that sort of start procedure nailed and next minute you know around the outside of turn one I had this huge impact and I was taken off onto the grass then this humongous crash happened Glingetti rolling over the top of me Andy Neats off somewhere else and yeah it all just bloody kicked off to be honest proper touring car style yeah when you felt the because obviously I, I, I watched it you know and it, it was obviously some pretty scathing comments you know about certain people and and all the rest of it but you know when you were going around the outside at turn one from what I saw of it, you know, you left more than enough room, you know, for everyone to be safe. Because at the end of the day, you're not going to win the race at the first corner. So I don't really think there was anything more you could have done, really. But what I mean, did you did you turn in and it was just a massive whack? Did you have no inkling whatsoever? Or... I didn't even know who was involved. I watched the video back and I actually said to myself, like, why were you so far out to the left round turn one? But I think my mindset for that first weekend was I just wanted three race finishes. Yeah, I wanted yeah. three checkered flags on, on the sheet, you know, and... I was playing it safe. Like I said, I didn't get the best start. So the last thing I wanted to do was have less momentum than everyone and kind of get beaten up a little bit. So I was just playing it fairly sensible. And I knew Glyn was on my inside. And again, I wanted to give him a a clean amount of room to all get round. And then there was just this impact. And I didn't know who it was. The only person I could see in the crash was Glyn because he was literally rolling across the bonnet. And first instinct was to get out of the car, check he was okay. And then I turned around and it was Andy Neat. And I just didn't know what had happened. You know, I said to people in the paddock, the, the clerks can call me up to the bus and ask what happened. I couldn't tell them. But, you know, Andy got out of the car and he said that there was an issue that he couldn't stop, whether it was brake failure or throttle. And he looked spooked. He was, his eyes were on stalks. He was so apologetic. Mm. And initially on, on camera, you see me and I look like I'm chewing on wasps, like I am fuming. And I was, I turned around to see his yeah, name absolutely. and I was so angry. But yeah, once he got out of the car and he kind of explained what his side of things were, it all calmed down. And we, me and Glenn, Glenn were just looking at our cars wrapped up in a ball of snot thinking, what on earth has gone on here? It was just ridiculous. It was not a pleasant, uh, I mean, just, just to watch it, it was not a pleasant thing because I think the camera scan to turn one is obviously pretty quick. Mm. And then it kind of scanned to the left-hander coming up to the complex. And as it was looking back on the cars, you could see the crash in the background. And yeah. I always saw Glenn just rotating midair. And I remember thinking, Jesus Christ, like that's a heavy hit for anyone yeah. that's inside the car and yourself included as well. The car went over the top of you. So, I mean, <laughs> thank Christ for the safety standards that they're built to nowadays. I mean, it's- yeah, and I, I think for me, I've got a bruise on my leg where I've obviously hit the dash with my shin or something. Yeah. That is the extent of my injuries. I think Monday morning I woke up with a slight, stiff neck down one side but that went by midday and I honestly think that the reason that I don't feel any injuries is a the safety of the car obviously is brilliant b I've started going to a PT so I'm just generally a lot more stronger more flexible that sort of stuff always helps in a crash and then c I get an indie seat seat insert made and it is molded to the shape of me and I'm so tight in the seat that I just don't think it lets you move during a crash and you don't get flung around and the reason my neck hurts because it's the only free movement of my body but without those three factors I think it could have been a horrific horrific accident you know and and luckily we all got out and we were fine it was it was Glyn that that had the the role it's the first time he's ever rolled a car so that was fairly entertaining in his mind I think Glyn's a safe pair of hands as well like he's he's not the kind of I mean he's not the kind of guy you want to pick a fight with as well 
like he's a pretty big bloke. Yeah. Uh, so if you rolled him off, I'd be like, I'm yeah. leaving the circuit now. Yeah, uh, I'd jump the fence and just yeah, yeah. I'd be like, I've got I've got an appointment somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I, I mean, what ended up happening about it? Was there any kind of investigation or? Yeah, so initially Andy said that there was a mechanical failure and I take that on face value and I, I spoke to the, the team boss at Motorbase and I, I repeated that. I said, look, Andy said this this or that's happened. Uh, it turns out that it was driver error over mechanical failure and Andy has had points on his license and a fine and stuff like that. So yeah, it wasn't ideal, but I have to say about Andy, he's given me a direct phone call. We've spoken personally. He's apologized. He's talked me through the whole incident from his side of things. And he said in his words, he's distraught about how the incident played out. And it was just genuine driver error. And okay, he probably shouldn't have gone out straight away saying it was mechanical error or, you know, failure. But in his mind at the time of that shunt, it was because he couldn't comprehend what had happened in the car. Okay. He thought something had gone wrong. So you know, I never want to have that incident again. And um, it's a shame that, you know, that sort of incident is happening on the British touring car grid, but I can't fault Andy in the way that he's dealt with the situation from the moment onwards, you know, and that's all I can take from it. Absolutely. I think we, we were having a chat beforehand and it was, um, you know, before we went live and that is a, a testament to the bloke to hold his hands up. I suppose it, it takes moral integrity to hold yeah. your hands up and just go, I'm really, really sorry. I know this screwed you over and you know, it's totally my fault. He didn't, it, it's didn't the right to thing it. to do. Yeah, exactly. It's the right thing to do, but he didn't need to do it. Absolutely. So credit to him on that. That would worry me though, if that is a legit racing mistake. I didn't see any brake lights, put it that way. No, um, I mean, he's put out into the press or his, his wife made a comment saying that, you know, he pressed the clutch instead of the brake. And the reason that's happened is because he started the race with the clutch. He left foot brakes. He's just not moved his foot across. Glynn's braked. It kind of caught him off guard. He's gone to brake and he's hit the clutch. Now, I don't condone at that level. Do we need to be missing pedals? No, I don't think so. But he held his hands up. Genuine mistake. You know, it's something that he's he's losing sleep over himself. So I'm not going to give him any harder a time than he's already having in his own mind, I think. So, yeah. you know, leave him to it. He said, sorry, we've cleared the air and we move on to Snet on a, on a clean slate. Now it's a testament to the way you go racing, I suppose, more than, more than it is anyone else. So no credit mm-hmm. to you. So this year then, what would be a good result? You said about Jack Sears, potential podium, Jack Sears uh, trophy would be good. I know this is, forgive me if I'm being blunt here, but... Drivers say some things, actually, they've got a secret kind of goal in the background. Like yeah. I know that's why I was like last year, I was just like, yeah, I'll target top five in the championship. And I didn't yeah. want top five in the championship. I wanted to win the fucker. Yeah. Um, what's your official line? And then if you're happy, yeah. what's your actual line? To be honest, I'm quite open with what I actually want. Like I have to be realistic here. Like to win a touring car race is no easy task. And of course it goes without saying that I would love to do it. And who's to say that with a reverse grid, with the right tire choice, with the right circuit, that I couldn't get a podium, a win, whatever. I'd love it. I'd probably wet myself on the podium. <laughs> if I got a podium, you know, got a win in, in British touring cars, but for me it has to stay realistic. I'm rookie. You know, it's so much for me to learn. I'd love to have a few stands on the podium for that Jack Sears trophy. I'd love to be in with a shout for it by the end of the season, come away with the Jack Sears championship win would be an absolute dream to some people they're not interested in it for me it's my kind of stepping stone in this championship if I can win Jack Sears or I can do well in Jack Sears it sets you up for the next year or the year after and 
anything along the way, you know, point scoring, top tens, top fives, reverse grids, anything like that is a complete bonus. For me, I just want to earn some respect. You know, this could be my only year. If I leave the season and everyone goes, do you know what? She's not a bad driver. She's got pace. She did well. And it was a positive mental thought process for me. I'm happy with that. You know, I want to go away from this season going, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Obviously, I'm competitive, as we've already spoken about. I want trophies. I want to stand on a podium. I want to prove to everyone that I am capable because my CV doesn't stand for much. You know, I haven't done a four seasons racing up until 2017. Cleo's, I struggled with the car. So looking at my CV, I look fairly average. But, you know, it's not always the story is as clear cut as just reading a CV. So, yeah. I just want to prove everyone that I'm, I've earned my stripes in this championship and that I'm capable of running at that level. I think as far as the respect side goes, I think you, you're pretty much there already, I would say. Your conduct and, you know, what you've been doing so far. Yeah, commercially, I think, yeah, I have, like, you know, sponsorship-wise and, and making it happen off the back of no results, basically. I'd Some say on driving. track as well. Uh, I'd say on track as well. I, I mean, yeah, it, what you're saying about you've got to be realistic, you've got to, you've got to mm-hmm. do small steps and all the rest of it, I 100% agree with that. I think, you know, you're never going to set the world alight in such a competitive championship straight away. But nobody puts it PA in free practice without knowing what they're doing. And that does make people sit up and take note. You know, I I tend to, you know, once in a while, if there's a race on or something like that, I do look at TSL and the timing system. And I'm just like, uh, and obviously when we knew you were coming on on the show as well, you know, I was keeping tabs on what you're doing. I was thinking, awesome, happy days. The right people see the right things, because even when I did the yeah. Silverstone round last year, OK, my position, you know, on the finishing sheet was 21st, 23rd, whatever. Actually, my lap times fit slotted in between the top 10 to top 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, like you say, the right people are looking at the right things. I think just for outside looking in, I want a couple of results that on the actual results sheet prove yeah. that I'm capable not just lap times and stuff like that but it, it will come I'm, I'm more than confident yeah. that it will come I just have to I can't run before I can walk as Jim would tell me <laughs> legend yeah what a guy yeah <laughs> speak sense that man speak sense. <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think that's the best way to look at it to be honest not running before you can walk is, yeah. is definitely something I believe in so a couple of quick fire questions then because I had this had this earlier from uh, actually Daisy who wanted to know this this could potentially be a recent one scariest moment in motorsport it actually wasn't the weekend the scariest moment I don't know I don't really I'll tell you what it was scariest moment was when I did a random round or I did a couple of rounds in British GT but it was the spa race and I went through Eau Rouge and my power steering failed so I went through the left and then just as I went through the right it failed and the steering locked in and I had a shunt obviously but what was different with that situation, which is why I probably sympathise slightly with Andy Neat from the weekend, is that a mechanical failure is so much more terrifying than driver error. Because in driver error, you can justify in your yeah, brain, like, I did this and it created that. Mechanical failure is so scary because it's out of your control. Hmm. And I remember getting taken to the medical centre, which is in the arse end of nowhere on the circuit. And then no one speaks English. And then I got put on the back of a motorbike to take me back to the main paddock. My heart rate hadn't dropped below 100 by this point. And I'm on the back of a motorbike. And this guy honestly thought it was Valentino Rossi. <laughs> and I sat there and I'm thinking, I've just had a massive crash. Massive Can you just it? chill out a bit? And it was like, I got back to the track. And it honestly took me an hour or so to just chill out because I'd had this 
hours, eventful, you know, mechanical issue, big crash, motorbike ride. I was like, <laughs> this is horrendous. So scariest moment would probably be anything that's gone wrong that's not driver error because it's harder to comprehend in your brain. Yeah, it's not a pleasant experience. Especially at a rouge, that's for sure. I suppose next quick fire one, kind of one from me really, but if you could race in any other series other than BTCC, anything in the world, what would it be? Probably V8 supercars. Yeah, good because, good answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the sun's always shining. They spit flames. They sound amazing. The racing's close. It just, it's got everything for me. I think it's, you know, I don't watch every single race. I follow it briefly, but there's something about Bathurst that I absolutely love. And it's just, the whole thing just looks unbelievable. I remember seeing an onboard of Chaz Mostert doing, I think it was when he got pole at Bathurst a few years ago. And he's heel and toeing through the fast section, the top of the mountain. Yeah. I was just like, oh my gosh, so cool. Just like pr proper driving. Like yeah. absolutely There's so cool. much going on as well. Because yeah. they've got like, I remember Abby went out and did Super 2, which is yeah, the V8 supercars like handed down. Mm. And she said there's just levers and pedals and yeah, torsion bar. Driving. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I remember I, it was, it's just an absolutely awesome lap. Are you just thinking, Jesus, it's 600 plus horsepower <laughs> in a car that basically weighs the same as a family saloon. Yeah. Oh, and if I'm right, there's no mechanical aids in them either. There's no, no ABS traction control. So you are really That's driving it. that car. Yeah, yeah. It's like a supercut car on steroids, yeah. basically. Yeah. yeah, with about a million different more complicated things thrown in. <laughs> That's a good answer. I like that. Did you do much sim racing or anything like that? Have you, have you no, kind of... I'm so bad at a sim. This is, goes back to the whole, like, dialing in my competitive brain. There's no risk element to a sim. Yeah. But, like, I get on a sim and I'm like, way crashed again, way <laughs> flat. Like, there's no, if it goes wrong, who cares? It's like we just press restart. So yeah. I really struggle to focus my brain on a sim. So I've been on a couple of good Sims, you know, the top, top level ones, and they're yeah. much better. But as for like car games, general Sims, that sort of stuff, nah, can't be asked. I'm, I'm similar to that, really. I kind of, I, I do a little bit, but mainly it's just to keep, keep myself, I, I never really race. I just do like a test session or yeah. something. I just keep my, yeah. keep my eye in. For, for learning circuits or learning general cars or, you know, just yeah. keeping your eye in. in where, where you break it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's kind of similar. Like I was watching a couple of the, I think there was an eye racing something or something or other. I can't remember what it was, but you're watching the way the guys are driving it. You're just like, you just can't do that in real life. Like no. if you throw the car in in that way, you're having a massive accident. And it's, don't get me wrong, I'm a big fan of sim racing. I think it's got a place and I think it's doing really, really well at the moment. But I think it's got, it's still got a little bit further, just a little bit further to go. As soon as you can hit reset and go again, it's <laughs> go again. But there's been yeah. there's been those you know in lockdown they did those big races mm. and you see the guys that are genuinely on you know from actual racing big names really talented won loads of stuff and they are nowhere against yeah, the yeah. drivers you know it is a completely different task set you know and full respect to them and people are earning big money from it but I just I don't a I don't have the money to buy a proper sim. And B, I don't have the, you know, I'll get distracted by a bright light or something that it just, I just get, my mind doesn't sit, sit well just dialing into a sim simulator, really. Yeah, yeah. No, it's understandable. There's nothing that's ever really going to be like, like the real thing, to be yeah. honest. You know, even like little things like coaching the other day in a GTA car and it's like just the smell. You get yeah. it, like just little things like that. It's just like, yeah, proper race car smell. Real. Yeah. So I forgot what I was going to say that. I was going to ask you something related to that. It'll come back to me. 
yeah. most things do in about an hour's time when I'm, yeah. I'm getting old old now bald more gray hairs <laughs> on my beard like I forget stuff all the time no so obviously when I got in touch with you oh, Christ, it must have been it's a while ago now wasn't a few it? months ago yeah yeah exactly obviously you're hugely busy at the moment so obviously we massively and you kept texting me and I was like oh, I forgot to reply <laughs> again no it wasn't the thing is I know what it's like when you're testing and you're at the circuit and you're just like oh I'll, I'll respond to that guy when I get back and then a week later they send you a, a chase of fire you're like don't <laughs> straight away so I, I saw your dad as well I was just like oh, I'm gonna message Jade later I've forgot yeah. to chase her up about it and he was like yeah, yeah she's on it she's on it but yeah, obviously we spoke originally a couple of months ago and you were like, actually one of the fastest responses I've had from all the guys that we've got on the series this year yeah. um, or the, this current series, you were like, yeah, hundred percent. I'm on board for everything to do with improving mental health, raising awareness. So, you know, what's your kind of take on mental health and how do you, I suppose what, what's a better way to put it is racing minds. What does it sound like to you? For me, mental health is a, a huge thing. I think it's a taboo subject still. It's getting better. Yeah. But I am not a stranger to some mental health issues. You know, we've all been through them. We've all had tough times. It's how you deal with them. And, you know, I still struggle to this day with certain aspects of mental health. You know, nothing too extreme. But, you know, I felt it a little bit. And I think from that, I just want to speak out about it. And I just want people to be okay with speaking out about it. And, you know, doing stuff like this, where you're just having chit chats, it might be the case that, you know, we don't even have to directly speak about mental health. But for someone that's sat alone at home, maybe having a tough time to tune into this for an hour and feel like they're in a room full of people and having good conversation, that massively helps them get through that day or get through that evening and, and lead them into the next day. And that's why I kind of really want to support it because we've had people in racing that, you know, have done the worst and maybe taken their own life or, you know, have had people know that they're, you know, other friends and family that have done it. And I just think it's something that we shouldn't be worried about admitting to and just going, do you know what guys I'm struggling or I need a chat or I need a hug or whatever. And, and I think by doing stuff like this, it creates awareness that enough people tell you that it's okay to speak up that hopefully more and more people will start doing it couldn't have said it better myself <laughs> yeah absolutely spot on I think yeah talking about things is ultimately the way forward and you talk about it share the load yeah 100% it, it makes a massive massive difference all I'm really going to add to that is thank you really you know you're an awesome inspiration lovely person you know spoke to each other a couple of times now obviously we wish you the very very best of luck and we'll be following you closely over the season Jade so really from me we will sign off now and say thank you very much for your time in a massively massively busy period of your life at the moment and thank you very much and i'll just say from my side as well i hope that you get a deal come together and you get back out on track as soon as possible as well in a brilliant little chit chat and i've thoroughly enjoyed it so anytime you want me back sign me up on it you said it <laughs> you said it <laughs> end of the season we're on it <laughs> brilliant thank you very much for your time jade we'll sign off no worries. thank you